Future of Finance podcast, where finance finds its future. Hello, I'm Dominic Hobson, co-founder of Future of Finance. My guest today is Max Heinzler, CEO of 21X, a fintech that's developing a blockchain-powered trading and settlement system for tokenized equities, stocks, bonds, and funds. 21X will be licensed as well. The company has submitted an application to the European Securities and Markets Authority, ESMA, to be licensed as a European token exchange under the EU pilot regime. And that license is expected to be granted this spring. Max, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you, Dominic, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Could we start perhaps with a little bit of history? Back in, in the spring of 2017, you could see that traditional banks were struggling to embrace uh, digital transformation. So you established 21 uh, Finance, that it was a regulated marketplace as a service platform to bridge that gap between where the banks were, the traditional banks were, and the digital in finance. I know you've also had some involvement in the past in, in crowdfunding. So tell us about your journey from where you were back in 2017 to where you are now, nearly seven years later. How have you evolved your business from selling this digital asset platform to banks as a service on this white label basis to actually now building uh, and eventually operating a DLT exchange? Is 21X the, the child, the progeny of 21 Finance, or are they now separate businesses? Tell us the story. Yeah, thank you, Dominic. Um... Yeah, so really, like you already said, rightly so, right? We started off um, as a as a platform operator uh, to then pivot into becoming a, a SaaS a solution provider for um, specifically digital asset issuances and distributions um, uh, through our white labeled uh, uh, distribution platform. Um, in the next step, what we came to understand was that uh, the likes of financial institutions or also intermediaries. We're looking uh, to to enable secondary market functionality, and um, with then the regulatory developments in the EU, um, following those closely, um, and with the announcement uh, mid two thousand twenty two, we we came to um, to the strategic decision that we would actually apply for the license um, uh, under the EU DLT pilot regime. Um, and uh, actually stopped uh, operating as a SaaS provider to solely focus on that regulated market infrastructure. So um, when, I, when I talk about the, the infrastructure, um, uh, the market infrastructure really derives from um, the nature of the regulatory framework, which is um, basically encompassing three different licenses. One of them is the DLT-based multilateral trading facility, um, the second one is the DLT-based settlement system, and the third one is basically the combination out of both the MTF, so the multilateral trading facility, and the settlement system, which is the so-called DLT-TSS. Um, and that then in the next step um, with the application process starting last year in, in March in the EU, um, we, were, uh, we, we basically handed in with the, with the beginning of, of that uh, regulatory regime in the EU. Um, to to in the next step, uh, um, yeah, uh, obtain the license to operate both the primary and secondary market, which has a clear B two B two X focus. So with the likes of the clients that we have already, you know, gathered, um, uh, but also with uh, the likes of obviously new partners that we will be announcing shortly, um, we are now in 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 the preparations of um, of of preparing the go live of twenty one X. 
which in essence is um, then again also a company which we founded last year, given that we applied for the license. It's actually a 100% subsidiary of 21 Finance. Uh, 21 Finance is a Liechtenstein-based uh, entity, which is the uh, original uh, startup, if you so wanted, that we founded back in 2017. And now with the addition and the fact that we have applied through um, through a German subsidiary of ours, 21X, um, we are actually going through that license and approval process with both BaFin and, and, and ESMA. Yeah. You mentioned Liechtenstein, but it's interesting that your part of your operation now will be uh, Germany. And Germany has been surprisingly progressive in the field of, of digital assets. It's got a very supportive legal structure. Uh, it's had uh, quite a lot of actual issuance activity as well. Uh, several dozen crypto securities have been issued there and about 7,000 or more digital twins of, of existing debt securities, albeit using a fairly traditional market infrastructure. But it's it's uh, if you look at the markets in Europe, Germany is pretty far ahead. Um, I was also interested to see that some of your board members have links to, to Börse Stuttgart, which has built a cryptocurrency trading and, and custody business and had it for some years now. So tell us tell us a bit about why Germany has has, has been attracted beyond the obvious, why Germany has been attractive to you and, and what the value of of the German experience and particularly of your board members has been to the uh uh, what you're doing at 21x so we we just recently announced that um at 21x um our board members um alexander uh, Höppner and also peter großkopf um have joined us i mean looking at both their experiences in in the field of fintech and also regulated capital markets um uh, like you rightly so mentioned uh, uh börse stuttgart or also deutsche börse um Actually, also to name another player in in the field of uh, banking and fintech, uh, which is Solaris Bank, in particular, uh, both Peter and, and Alex have uh, extensive experience in that field. Um, so for us, that is certainly something that is very important. Also, in the light of us being a regulated uh, financial institution that will be operating an on-chain market infrastructure, to ensure that we have people on our board and also. Uh, within uh, within the team, the operational team that have uh, both a combination out of tech expertise, but also uh, in particular, obviously on 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 subjects such as uh, uh, risk compliance um, and and obviously also exchange experience. Um, so so with that being said, I think nevertheless it's it's pretty clear that with this innovative regulatory framework, we are entering. Um, basically new new playing field um, it is an, an, an entirely um, new way of of uh, combining uh, in a single entity both an MTF and a settlement system and so there 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 are some some interesting comparisons obviously delving into uh, traditional requirements uh, from from so-called uh, regulated tradfi markets to 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 the intersection of of blockchain based capital markets yeah that um that being said uh we 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 hope to be able to add also in the future further expertise from the likes of um yeah experts that have gathered an uh, an extensive amount of uh experience and know-how and 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 bring and add that basically to to what our mission is to basically drive the future of capital markets we talk a little bit about the, the technology you've you've chosen and i have two questions about this one is you've 
you've opted for uh, for Polygon. And what's interesting about that decision is that it's a, a public permissionless um, blockchain. So my questions are, what governed your 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 selection of Polygon? But how uh, contentious was it um, to choose a public uh, permissionless blockchain as to, as opposed to going for a for a private one? What was your reasoning for both of those choices, Polygon and going and having a public chain? So um, making use of Polygon was a decision that we made already back in 2022. Um, at the time being, uh, one of the, um, I mean, besides the technical, um, say, um, KPIs uh, and, and also metrics of um, the blockchain itself, uh, it, it was obviously also a key decision uh, a point or argument was to, to say, okay, we need to we need to make sure that uh, projects and um, actually pilots are being conducted of the likes of also capital market participants um, that are proving like institutional adoption. And Polygon was uh, surely one of the blockchains where a lot of those projects were already happening uh, back then. And I think we've uh, been proven in, in uh, to, to, an, to a degree it has been proven that we've made a good choice given that a lot of the newer projects and and products that have been launched on public uh, pu uh public blockchains um uh, were on on polygon so there are some very large asset managers and and some public projects such as for example po uh, uh franklin templeton money market fund and, and other products the the idea of um matching trading and settling um, on a public blockchain, for us, it was pretty obvious that we wanted to try and automate as much of the, say, market infrastructure um, and really leverage smart contract functionality. And um, and for the, the sake of, if one takes a closer look at the regulatory framework, in order to leverage those new, the, the, that the new possibilities that actually derive from such a framework, for us, it was clear that we would um, go down that route, even though there are some, say, uh, limitations or also challenges that come with that. Right? Um, obviously, with the, the 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 target, one of the main objectives being for us to realize uh, T plus zero transactions, to 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 trade uh, and settle atomically. I'll come back to those limitations you you've just mentioned, but just one final technical question before I do. How are the users going to connect to the 21X platform? Is this going to be API-based? Is it going to be, I don't know, interfaces? So we, um, I briefly mentioned earlier that we have a B2B2X model and uh, keeping in mind that the regulatory framework actually allows for direct access also to this market infrastructure. It's also one of the big, I would say, differentiators really between what we see in today's TradFi markets. Yeah, if you and me uh, as individuals or even non-regulated, um, say legal entities wanted to onboard yeah, directly with an exchange that uh, whether this London Stock Exchange um, or, or also Deutsche Börse, that doesn't work in today's world just yet. Yeah, um, we all have to go through say um, respective market participants that are connected to the um, uh, trading systems. And so uh, for us, uh, even though the regulatory framework allows for direct access, um, uh, and that's that's a game changer in itself, 
we decided that we would try and, and connect um, with our to-be-regulated market infrastructure to the likes of players that are already operating in capital markets and enable them to this new form uh, of, of actually um, matching and trading uh, and settling uh, security tokens. So with that being said, um, we have already uh, and will be uh, announcing shortly some of these partners that we are, are planning to launch uh, 21X with in the next couple of months. Um, obviously requiring uh, for, for the license to be approved. Um, happy also to share more on the status there. So, um, but, but really the reality is that we provide then in the next step access to the likes of their clients, which are buyers and sellers of security tokens in the next step. And obviously also tap into the side of the, if you so want, agents that are working out in the market that can assist with also product issuance, tokenization services, yeah, custody services, given that we have a very open market approach. So really, um, that's the way we're, we're tackling it. And might be the case that in the future, uh, we see that it makes sense to also um, open, if you so want, our services directly to clients. But for, for the first for the first steps uh, that we're looking to take that that's not part of our strategy. Yeah. Okay, so you're, you're looking to build a, a fairly open uh, ecosystem, if you like. But I promise to come back to, to that point you made about the limitations of, of blockchain technology. And you mentioned, I think, that you're planning to match the trades um, on Polygon. But if I've understood your model correctly, you're also going to be operating a, a central limit order book of the type that traditional exchanges operate. Now, in our conversations with digital asset exchanges, we found that's not unusual because uh, blockchain is not always well adapted in terms of the speed and capacity which people need for, for trading um, activity. But could you tell us a little bit more about your actual matching and trading operating model here? You're presumably looking to do is in the long run, this peer-to-peer -peer trading of these digital assets. What is the, how is this going to work in practice? Um, where does this uh, this club meet matching, meet trading on Polygon? Yeah, so so maybe just to, to clarify also here, because sometimes people get confused by the fact that it is a club and that in itself doesn't mean that it's centralized. I mean, given that we that matching trading and settlement is, is smart contract enabled and running on Polygon, um, we have obviously smart contracts that are making all, all this possible, right? And it is, after all, peer-to-peer. -peer. So one of the, the key aspects of the uh, EU DLT pilot regime are that um, clearing in that case is no longer a necessity. You don't really have a central counterparty uh, um, uh, sitting in between the buy and the sell side um, so that really differentiates us strongly also from the likes of you know uh, amm models so amm standing for automated market makers um, with the cent more more centralized point of failure if you so want um, and and we know that these are still at an early uh, development stage and um, also bring certain weaknesses along um, you mentioned a very important point and that is uh, efficiency, right? So we we are still, if you so want, at the beginning of a journey of, you know, infrastructural layers, whether it is a layer one, a layer two, uh, that comes with uh, certain technical uh, limitations. And that, in essence, also plays back into the types of products that we can actually admit to trading. So uh, when when we consider, you know, um, for, for instance, high frequency trading, 
that in the first step will not be possible to 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 happen um on a on a, a systematic uh, uh setup as we are going for it in the first step but with that being said maybe it's also important for the viewers to understand that when we are launching 21x on polygon then um nevertheless uh, we still have a like a multi-chain strategy that we're looking to execute yeah we see that real world assets are one of the mega trends now in particular in the web3 space um talking to you know the largest uh, infrastructure uh, providers um globally um there is hardly any of them that don't have it on their agenda at the moment and so when we uh, come to understand that you know security tokens are already being issued in a regulatory compliant form and manner by various players globally in the market fintechs that are specialized on that part of the security token value chain that in the next step um, what what they are are all looking for is liquidity right so the 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 fact that we can then in the next step under the restrictions of the EU DLT pilot regime, because it says and states very clearly, you can do equity, you can do debt, and you can do fund structures. Yeah, um, and there are some other thresholds and, and limitations that come with the EU DLT pilot regime, as you know, Dominic. But um, I think that that then comes to make sense nevertheless, because we know there are certain types of products that um, have still a very say, um, cumbersome processing and back office operations and procedures where there are huge efficiency gains already, even though they are not being uh, able to, to provide it for, for in the first step for high frequency trading. And, um, and for us as a, as a to be regulated um, financial institution, yeah, but still being a fintech, uh, if you so want, yeah, we, we, we clearly uh, see advantages in focusing in obtaining the license in the first step, uh, sticking to that uh, strategy of doing it on a public blockchain, and then adding potentially also other EVM compatible chains that have different, say, yeah, uh, efficiencies or, or advantages as opposed to, um, for example, Polygon. We'll come back to the the pilot regime. Let's stick with the with the operating model for now. Now, when it comes to post-trade blockchain technology, Polygon will be fine. You've said you're going to be settling these trades atomically. Now, we have this conversation all the time at Future of Finance. People say, oh, yes, settling atomically seems great in theory, but you have all the costs of, of pre-funding. And more importantly, you potentially lose the, the benefits of netting, that ability of people to do more business with with less money, if you like. What is your reaction to those very familiar criticisms of atomic settlement? Yeah, so I think that's a that's a very interesting topic um, in general, because we obviously there are certain, if you so want, um, well, models that have been made use of um, in terms of like, the systems that TradFi markets are running on. Um, I would even like to call them maybe systematic weaknesses of, of, of systems yeah, that allows for, for also, yeah, um, or that, that actually provided for the, the, the possibility for, for this to actually happen in, in, the, in, the, in the traditional capital markets. If we look at, we look at the new 
way that um, we at least see that markets will be moving towards and where they will be developing, then um, I believe that that will be compensated also through fee structures that in essence, yeah, make use of the benefits of this new, uh, the, the, the new market infrastructure. And um, and that these benefits um, that are still existent in the if you so want in in the tread in TreadFi can be countered to some extent also through through the efficiency gains that can be realized. Yeah, I think that's that's really such a like a, a tension field there. But um, for sure there will be an impact um, and 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 certain mechanics as we see them in in TreadFi today will will no longer um, actually. Have a have a role in uh, in the future. Yeah. It's kind of also maybe to to give another example, right? Um, because we were talking about what what made us decide to go for for public blockchain, and uh, in essence, yeah, it it we saw already a few years ago a clear trend from financial institutions to to push for more for private blockchains. Um, we see, and that's also the clear feedback from the market, um, financial institutions not being really that much focused on self-custodied setups, but um, more making use of custody service providers or integrating custody uh, services themselves. And nevertheless, I think if we think further and longer down the line, if we consider where the market is likely to move towards in the long term, I think there's also... Uh, a space for for self custody and also here um the european regulator considered this right they do allow um the investors buyers and holders of the assets to actually um make use of of self custody um on a on a market infrastructure such as ours and um and i think that that just goes to show how decentralized um the future of capital markets will be able to be right um maybe to make it even more so specific for the listeners um and and viewers uh is that uh, it could mean in the future dominic that you and me that we just connect our wallet and that we place a buy or sell order um because we have connected you know directly um as as the the ubos of the settlement currency or the 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 digital asset um um, or if you so want to call it the security token. I mean, the EU regulator calls them DLT financial instruments. Uh, um, maybe to clarify also there. Well, could could we be clear on on this point about what services you're you're planning to provide both now and in the future? You talked very early in this conversation about building up in effect an ecosystem of of service providers to users of of the Twenty One X platform. You've just been talking now about integrating custody in a a vision of the future in which self-custody is the norm and it's a very decentralized uh, network which you are at uh, which you are part of but can i just ask you very narrowly the question what are the functions that the the 21x platform is going to offer from the outset and i'm talking here of, of issuance services of of the trade matching of the settlement of how assets get serviced and indeed uh the custody are you for example going to um at the outset provide a, a custody service of your own? Are you going to provide services to potential issuers, um, advising them on how to structure their issues, uh, what documents they need, and so on? In short, my question is, what are the services you're going to be providing at the outset? Yeah. So, so we will not be providing structuring services because, in essence, 
the market is not waiting for further um, advisors to 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 help really with structuring. I think um, it, it's more the case that we, when I talked about an open uh, market infrastructure, that along, along the value chain of security tokens and starting with deal origination and structuring, we will be working with the likes of, you know, partners that are already providing these services. And we also have what we like to call listing agents that actually help to ensure on the market side, dealing with the likes of clients such as asset managers that are looking to launch uh, tokenized uh, products um, to, to basically ensure that the listing requirements are met, that the criteria are, are met for admission to issuance and distribution. Um, so traditionally uh, primary market or also uh, then optionally admission to, to trading um, on, on 21X. Um, but before that actually happens, we still have that important part of the tokenization and the smart contract creation, right? And so the configuration of these smart contracts and also the implementation of um, product-specific corporate actions, yeah, um, that being based on the underlying uh, uh, structure, yeah, that is being taken care of um, by both um, partners of ours that are leading in, in the space of tokenization services, yeah, um, but also uh, by ourselves. So clients can choose if they just want to make use of our tokenization capabilities. Yeah, and in the next step, um, it is important to understand also technically that the requirements are met for these uh, tokens then to be admitted, um, like I said earlier, to, to enable subscription uh, and distribution uh, and then also, uh, depending on whether it is a public or a private offering to investors, yeah, um, with everything that comes with that. So really encompasses the process of token minting um, for primary uh, issuance of, of, of these likes of uh, tokenized financial instruments. And, um, and obviously, uh, to then also enable cross-border and cross-platform distribution uh, through the API uh, uh, platform that we have um, in 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 the next step um, admission to trading for for the secondary market functionality or the placement by buyers and sellers um, the order matching and execution um, by the order book smart contract and obviously also the atomic matching and settlement of of the the buy and the sell orders um, we have some uh, before I move on to the custody side of things. And 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 maybe also share some some insights there. Um, again, it's important I think to understand that in addition to that, there's something like the asset registrar or call them the the registrar services um, for an an on-chain digital asset registry of uh, non-custodial and also custodial wallets. So so we are allowed to provide with the DLT TSS license. Yeah, we would be allowed to provide them also for custody services, but we won't be doing that in the first step. Um, we do uh, have a strategy within our strategy and, and also our plan is to embed that as well as part of our offering, but it won't be in, in the beginning stages. The, the case is actually that we are in the process of integrating like a global custodial partner that can provide for these services for the likes of our clients, 
yeah um whether it is uh on on the on the sell or on the buy side and then like you rightly uh mentioned um also all the post trade servicing so corporate actions uh such as dividend and and coupon distributions and the facilitation of uh, the NAV calculation, for example, regulatory reportings, ongoing um, uh, position and risk management. Some of these services are actually conducted by the likes of some of the largest uh, players um, or financial institutions and capital markets, uh, obviously supporting there um, through the role of, say, for example, an administrator. Yeah. Um, so, so there's, um, there's about, um, say that's, that would be a, like a summary of what it is that we are offering alongside the value chain, either ourselves or through third party um, uh, providers. And yeah, hope that gives, uh, gives a clear idea. This registration function you referred to is a, is a specifically German uh, service, is it not? Or do you see this as as being a a kind of pan-European, even global function that's going to develop? Well, the thing digital assets take off. Yeah, yeah. So, so you're right. Um, it it really is. Uh, it is the case that under the Electronic Securities Act, as they call it in Germany, the registrar function is actually a requirement. Um, and um, and nevertheless, uh, we we are not only just because uh, 21X is operating out of Germany, um, facing products that will be issued um, and, 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 and approved also from a regulatory standpoint um, by the German regulator. So uh, after all, it's called the EU DLT uh, pilot regime. And, um, and so we, we actually are excited uh, to be also working in projects that, you know, um, that are being originated uh, out of Luxembourg or also other countries. And and here um, again the registrar function. Um, maybe also to put that in the context um, for the viewers, is really in essence just you know capturing who who are the ultimate beneficial owners of each respect each respective you know um, uh, well financial instrument and um, yeah and and so when it comes to other jurisdictions within the EU. That is not, uh, like you said rightly, so uh, not not an obligation um, to to have that specific. Um, uh, and it's also, by the way, in Germany, a specific license that you normally need for this registrar function. Um, but that's then not the case for other jurisdictions. As you look at the services you're going to be providing across issuance, matching, trading, settlement, um, even what you were talking about with custody there, as you look at the range of things that are going to have to be done to make this market scale. Where do you strike the balance uh, now at the outset between the primary market and the secondary market, which is more important as you get going? Well, it really comes down to the types of products that we're looking at, uh, Dominic. Um, some of the products, um, if you so want more um, alongside the, the the product category of bonds, um, they, they they are they will be you know there will be a necessity for both for both the primary market functionality and the secondary market functionality um some of these products as we know um uh, have already been you know uh, in the primary market uh, issued and and distributed 
um, but are still lacking the, the critically needed infrastructure in order for, for secondary market functionality to be enabled, right? Um, I, I think that uh, when we are looking at other products uh, such as certificates, um, uh, which which could be in the future maybe also a possibility um, to 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 trade uh, some form of structure products also on on a on a market infrastructure uh, market infrastructure such as twenty one X, then then the primary market uh, is 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 less relevant, right? Um, so um, for us, our core focus at the moment is really in driving liquidity. But it comes hand in hand, and it is also for us, if you so want, also with our history of, of 21 Finance and, and the SaaS solution that we already in the past offered, actually in line of what, what, what we have, you know, in terms of capabilities in-house to enable also uh, initial um, uh, subscription um, before admitting the product actually to trading. What's your, what's your revenue model? Are we talking of issuance fees, transaction fees, subscription fees? How are you going to get paid for all this work you've been doing and are going to be doing in future? So, so we we traditionally have a, a set of different types of yeah fees that we charge, and uh, it really comes down to you know what side of um, of the market infrastructure we're looking at. But maybe to 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 sum it up uh, in 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 the most simplified form and manner. We have, um, like, for example, listing fees, which are one-time fees. We have listing servicing fees, uh, which are recurring fees, depending on, you know, uh, how long the products are actually listed and services required to be provided. Um, we can, uh, in some instances for primary market, also charge issuance fees that are volume-based, yeah, um, that depends really on the nature of the underlying product. There are, there are quite substantial differences there. Um, some products are a lot more uh, price sensitive. Um, others are less price sensitive. Um, and then there are obviously also trading fees, right, for, for buyers and sellers each that are volume based. And um, what I can say is that these are going to be uh, uh, extraordinarily uh, competitive just uh, on, on the basis of yeah, um, of 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 the efficiency gains that we are realizing through our highly automated setup. So you know, then uh, rounding and summing it up, given that we have a st strong focus on on our API landscape, um, we we do charge an API service fee also there um, to to the respective partners. Yeah, I promise to come back to the regulatory position, and perhaps we could start with. With the EU pilot regime, you, you obviously you filed this application. You're expecting it to come through. I wonder if you could tell us what it's like to to try and build a business like this within within the pilot regime, because it obviously allows you to to experiment, but it only allows you to experiment within uh, certain constraints. And I wonder how difficult you've found those constraints, or how light you've found those constraints in terms of what you're what you're looking to do. What are the what are the pros and the cons of the EU pilot regime as you've experienced it so far? So so to to maybe um, start off with maybe going back to the point where we came to understand that this new regulatory framework would be coming into effect about uh, uh, about mid of 2022, as I mentioned before. 
Um, we, we put together a team of both legal and technical experts, and, and we also got help from like top uh, advisory firms, uh, both on the legal and, and also on the business and operational side. Um, because we really, what we did was we put together a concept. So we came up with, you know, a way what we believed also with our background in, 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 in regulated capital markets to be a form that uh, that should be in line with, with the, the, the to be announced regulatory uh, framework, right? And, 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 and also the requirements. Um, there was not really much guidance at that time. It was all very fresh and very new. And when we actually went and, and presented this to the likes of, you know, regulatory bodies within the EU, um, uh, there was quite a big interest in understanding how we are going about addressing and solving certain matters yeah, and, and, and also mitigating risks and, and, and so on and so forth. So for us, uh, in, 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 in essence, the constraints were more from a point of view where you could say, as a first mover, yeah, there's a lot of regulatory uncertainty and there's not so much clarity, it's not so much guidance. And still what helped was that dialogue also with the regulator. So we we actually also the dialogue of our experts that are advising us and and and, and existing re relationships there to really um, have a dialogue and find out, you know, what the perspective and 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 the view of the regulator is on certain matters. Um, but it goes without saying when you when you're doing this as one of the first players uh, uh, in, in in Europe, um, then then you don't have much uh, that you can, you know, take take on as a benchmark and say, OK, <clears throat> that's a proven model. So um, I think that that is besides the fact that there are some thresholds. Yeah. And now talking more or less about the challenges that come with the first mover advantage, obviously there are some limitations, right? So let's take that example with product limitations, right? We come to understand that certain products are, you know, tokenizable and also can be admitted to, to issuance, distribution and trading on, on a market infrastructure such as 21X. Um, but um, other products cannot and um, and what where is that line of what can actually be done and what cannot be done? So that th those are also questions that we addressed with the regulator very clearly, um, where we actually you know uh, went into specific uh, examples and and in order to ensure that um, what we are doing again is in accordance with um, what the regulator allows to happen. We have some other constraints, right? We have constraints as to what is the the market cap of these products they've put on certain thresholds we have uh, we have also when it comes to the, the the total market cap that is admitted to trading and listed on 21x yeah and we have also part of the application process and also the license documentation is to embed strategies what to do if we breach or exceed those thresholds yeah um so you you must uh, uh, actually outline uh, a plan uh, and and have a have have clarity as to what actions you're going to take there and that is in our view not so much of an issue to begin with because we i always like to say we need to start to walk before we can actually run before we hopefully uh, are capable also of uh, trialing to fly yeah um so hand in hand with the the regulators and obviously you know having to obey to market surveillance and reporting standards 
yeah i think for for, for an, an, a new uh, uh financial institution um there's there's a good reason to also from a regulatory standpoint say okay um let's see that everything is actually running smoothly that um that all the measures are in place and um yeah and so i can say that um that there is a price that comes with being the first mover but as almost everything in life dominic uh, there is pros and cons and i think um, most of us will be aware of what the advantages are of also being the first mover. And I guess when you start to bump up against those market cap and other constraints, that will be a problem of success. But it's one you've had to think about already because they, the ESMA wants you to have an exit plan for once your your business is so successful that you can no longer exist within the, the pilot regime uh, constraints. But now, I... What yeah, I can okay. maybe, sorry, maybe, but just to to jump in here and maybe add one last thing, Dominic, and that is, I think one thing is pretty obvious um, from the dialogue that we've had with uh, various uh, regulators now, and also the feedback that has been provided. So also for um, people to understand, when we file for this license application, we go in iterations. There are in in the next step feedback loops where we actually you know get a chance to make additions to the license application yeah and i think it is pretty obvious and clear that the regulator does not only want to see that this uh, new framework that they've put into place actually comes to to live yeah uh, that it actually starts running but um, that it is also market relevant because otherwise that's not going to be the case yeah and so looking into the future I'm actually very um, optimistic that with the feedback that will be provided by the likes of market participants such as ourselves, the regulator will come to also, you know, um, make significant findings and will there be learnings in order to, to, to um, yeah, to make amendments and also additions uh, to this regulatory framework. I think it's a great start and a fantastic starting point. I just want to make that very clear. In my personal opinion, I think what we have in the EU now is nothing less than one of the, if not the most regulatory um, or revolutionary regulatory framework for capital market infrastructure. And uh, it for sure, it's not done with a single, you know, release of a new uh, uh, pilot. Um, but the idea surely will be to actually make this become an effective legal framework right so i think that's that's also why this pilot has been launched in the first place yeah just before we leave regulation one possibly stupid question in europe we obviously have the supranational uh, level of supervision and regulation and we've talked a lot about esma and the pilot regime what are your obligations at the national level what do you have to do with the the bafin or the the bundesbank or indeed with the regulator in in Liechtenstein? do you have national regulatory obligations as well so in the, maybe to start off with the one that uh, doesn't you know uh, ha have any relevance in in that sense in the first place is is the Liechtenstein regulator right so just because our holding company 21 finance is based in Liechtenstein th there th there are no touching points in, a, in in that sense when it comes to the DLTTSS license and in particular also application process no, um, we decided to do it out of Germany, maybe also there to provide a bit of uh, color. 
Yeah, why? Because Germany, by nature of of being a, a, a the largest com uh, country in in the EU, yeah, has a very strong regulatory history. Yeah, the German regulator and also the reputation of being a regulated financial institution out of Germany that, um, in our view, um, has a lot of benefits to it. And um, when we look at the fact that 21X, for that reason, was you know uh, uh, founded in in Frankfurt, Germany. We, we have to go through the national regulator. So, so BaFin is our point of contact. Yeah, we are, um, nevertheless, we, we enjoyed the pleasure of having the possibility to also present and discuss with representatives of ESMA and EU Commission. And, and I believe there were also participants from the European Central Bank on, on, on specific, uh, in specific meetings and specific calls to, to, to basically uh, elaborate on specific subjects and, and, and matters. And what has been the case is that besides BaFin and ESMA, there have been others that also reviewed our application, right? So when it comes to like the, the cash lag, when it comes to the fact that we are talking about, uh, yeah, the settlement currency of 21X, which is, if you so want, tokenized fiat, yeah, um, uh, then then we then then we also have touch points, obviously, with, with the likes of, uh, the the Bundesbank uh, uh, or also the European Central Bank, and so we are actually from the feedback that we received in December of last year, having been in exchange also with uh, with Bafin again, we we are hoping to to receive now uh, formal feedback in the next couple of days, um, and that will then also, to my current understanding, include again uh, various opinions also from from other. Um, um yeah authorities uh, uh as i as i outlined earlier so that's that's kind of how it works okay well, let's let's assume the license comes through in the spring uh, as you expect let's talk now about how you're going to to grow the business from that point and, I, and i'd like to talk about it in in four senses i suppose one is you need issuers uh you're going to need investors you're going to have to make choices about the type of instruments within the constraints of the pilot regime, type of instruments you're going to list and trade, but also about the, the partnerships you're looking to build with, with third parties. Could we look at those four uh, axes of growth uh, in turn? Maybe maybe start with issuers. What type of issuers are you looking to do you expect uh, and aim to attract? Yeah, so, so in the first place, um, issuers that are... Um, predominantly you know asset managers that already have products that um that want to you know start uh trialing on and 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 take advantage of this new technology so launching uh um, alternative uh investment uh, uh funds or also the likes of yeah issuers for for bonds um i think these these are these are variety of different types of you know companies we we also know that um, there are some limitations again in the dlt pilot regime as to how big those companies can be yeah um, in particular when looking at equity offerings for example um, but we we're going to see um, uh, products being launched that are you know um, rather also traditional products as we know them like for, for example, electronically traded, uh, sorry, uh, exchange traded notes or exchange traded funds, 
uh, that in the next step will be made available uh, in, in, in tokenized form or to fractionalize. Uh, also, the likes of private equity, private debt uh, instruments that normally would have a much higher uh, threshold or minimum investment or subscription amount. Um, these are these are certainly products that uh, that are in the pipeline and that uh, we we uh, we will also see real estate tokenized real estate um, as part of of uh, financial instruments being being wrapped into baskets and and yeah. Um, these are some of the examples. Right. You've talked about issuers and by extension, you've talked about the asset classes you'll be focusing on as well. What about the investors? Are you going to, are the investors going to be mainly institutional or mainly retail or a mixture of both? So, so we're going to have both uh, institutional and retail investors connected through the likes of uh, brokers, financial institutions that are connecting to our regulated market. Um, so, so the nature is is really going to be uh, both retail and and professional respectively institutional investors um getting back to the question that you asked earlier who who else is you know going to be a participant on that market infrastructure so we got i mean very traditionally uh, also have liquidity providers that we have entered into uh, into uh, partnerships and and projects with that we are connecting either through api or even uh, smart contract based um, and then already, like I mentioned before, we have a set of listing agents that we will be working with that facilitate um, driving products also to to twenty one x. So so on the on the buy side, um, more more along the line, the, the the likes of brokers, neo brokers, banks, neo banks, yeah, um, and maybe also the one or other crypto exchange that wants to expand the the product and service offering. And if you're focusing on the funds business, what about fund administrators and custodians? Yeah, so um, obviously custodians, like I did mention before, um, mm -hmm. are an integral part of our market infrastructure. Um, moving forward, uh, some of the, and just given the market stage and development where we are, uh, development stage that we are at, some of the partners that we are looking to integrate already have their own custody setup um, implemented. Um, others will make use of our uh, integrated global custodial uh, services. So, um, so that's certainly uh, another uh, important part uh, that you need in such a uh, market infrastructure. And then, rightly so, as you said, um, also fund administrators. So, we we are very um, uh, pleased to to be also working together um, with, for example, Apex Group. Yeah, um, they they are taking on, for example, also um, specific services in that field. So. so am I right to think that uh, you're going to be sharing your technology, as it were, with, with these partners? You say somewhere that the company is going to leverage its world-leading DLT technology to build this infrastructure and it'll allow you know, customers to incorporate the 21X platform uh, into their own systems, whether it's an exchange or, or, or somebody else. So you build the ecosystem by allowing multiple parties to trade and settle tokenized securities. But you don't mean by that that this is a technology play. This is really about creating an, an ecosystem. You're not in the business of selling technology, token technology. You're in the business of building an ecosystem. Is that right? Yeah, um, I think that's, uh, that is right. I mean, uh, the ecosystem that we're trying to build will be, criti will be critical for the success of um, an, uh, a working 
new newly uh, functioning uh, market infrastructure layer yeah where we need uh, for certain roles to be taken care of um that in in essence uh, takes quite a lot uh, uh, as we all know um mm -hmm. and and is uh, it depends on 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 bringing various parties also to the table um i think that that will be critical for our success the fact of the matter is that uh, things are running on blockchain but i think we all know that um most of us we are using uh, the internet but not many of us really know what is happening in the back and how the internet functions. I think the kind of same thing goes also for blockchain technology. In the end, it will be the low-hanging fruits. It will be the efficiency and cost uh, uh, cutting um, that that can be the, the efficiency gains and also the 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 potentials for cutting costs um, that will supersede there and 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 actually drive adoption. And um, and for that purpose. Uh, we need to start with the the underlying required infrastructure for that to happen, and does it need to be regulatory compliant? I think um, uh, that that being said, um, we we see that many uh, financial institutions or also yeah intermediaries are um, are, are delving into this uh, subject. Some of them are have been already early to adopt. Others are still in the process of making decisions or are in the process already of implementation. So it's it's gonna it's gonna take some time. Uh, I'm I'm positive to say that um, that that we see that what this trend that has been kicked off now and and that development, uh, as also Larry Fink said a few days ago, this is uh, surely one of the the new trends um, for for this to actually um, yeah come come to life. Now, the vision you've outlined is, is a compelling one, but it's an awful lot of work and uh, it's not going to be cheap to do it all. And I know you've raised, uh, I think, 10 million euros over the last year or so from a variety of, of shareholders. Can you tell me, and, and this is really will bring our discussion almost to a close as we talk about what you've just been describing. You know, you build this infrastructure. Will people come and, and use it? You know, how do we drive adoption? You and I might think the opportunity is very obvious. Um, my question is this, you know, you're well funded for now. What's the, what are these shareholders thinking about this opportunity? What's their view of how quickly you can turn what you've built uh, into revenue, how you can scale it up and start actually to change the capital markets of Europe? What sort of timescale are they thinking? How do they think you're gonna do it? What's the opportunity that they see for themselves? So lately, um, and and just given that we already started our journey like good, good six and a half years ago, um, or, or almost uh, you could say seven years uh, ago, we we our shareholders were always you know convinced and have a strong background also in 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 blockchain technology, um, uh, were early adopters themselves as well, um, and and so the conviction that the technology is here to stay and that it is gonna have a big impact on capital markets as we know them today, uh, referring to TradFi. I think um, that that is an, an integral part to actually um, yeah, have the, the means and the, the backing and also the conviction to enter such an innovative uh, project and go down a, a route that obviously will lag in in showing uh, returns, but after all, 
it's highly scalable and uh, i think the the potential that derives from it um is uh, enormous so with the likes of some of the newly engaging strategic more strategic uh partners uh i think there is um a much more long term uh perception of what it is that we are doing here it's actually uh i catch myself sometimes dominic being overly optimistic yeah and 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 wanting to see that things happen much faster uh i'm a very impatient guy i hear that from my employees and uh colleagues all the time um but after all anybody that has worked in in capital markets has dealt with change in 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 banking and finance knows that things do take time and with after all talking about also systematic change so um i'm pleased and i'm i'm happy to on the one hand side uh, see that we have this backing i mean some of the the shareholders of 21 finance are um are, are family offices um that have you know uh, not only trusted us and 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 followed our journey over the last couple of years very closely, but but are obviously tremendously excited that we are um, in a position to become one of the first, if not the first company in in Europe to provide such an infrastructure. And um, what reconfirms it is that we see um, through the various conversations that have now uh, started to to really significantly increase that there is a strong uh, like a, a strong shift in sentiment and conviction i mean one thing that just goes to show is that most of the world leading banks have implemented and and uh, and and yeah uh, set up departments specifically addressing digital assets yeah and have also launched or are engaging in such projects and so um it will take time um but nevertheless we see that uh, to get the ball rolling, um, we we are getting all the ducks in a row, uh, if you so want, with the respective partners and uh, the team and myself are very excited to to finally start operating um, this this new yeah uh, this new this new market infrastructure. You've said a minute ago that you occasionally get ahead of yourself and and succumb to a sort of what might be called an error of optimism. Uh, I don't know whether you ever succumb to errors of of pessimism, but as you go around the marketplace talking to your potential partners, to potential investors, to potential issuers, what are the, and you've said it'll take time, but what are the, why does it take time? What are the reasons people are giving you? Is it, oh, well, we're quite happy with the MIFID system. We've got all these technology platforms which may be 20 years old but we're quite happy with it it all works we don't really have a financial incentive to change what what are the what are the arguments against moving rapidly in this space that you that you come across and which you think are probably fallacious yeah like um for sure the fact that we are that that it has a new underlying technological stack yeah so we're talking about uh like like a new system if you so want um, and it needs to be connected to uh, often to old systems still, um, because uh, a lot of those systems are just the underlying running systems. So there's basically that 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 part um, which which is slowing things down. I think it's also a question of education, understanding, regulation. Um, uh, it it does take some time. Uh, after all, it is it is a new material, and it uh, it does just take time for things to. To be to 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 be um, 
yeah, reaching a point of understanding and also obviously risks that derive from this new field um, of, of operating uh, with digital securities, right? I mean, there's, there's a variety of liability and other risks uh, that that are um that 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 come alongside this the subject um that slow things down right we all know that uh for example um uh, receiving li uh, licenses and and, and receiving uh, approval i mean uh, just take us as an example is a process that itself uh, will take about a year's time um to 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 be done and and if one considers all the preparation that went into it before you could even say it's more the long uh, more along the lines of one and a half years to almost two years so that in itself i think are a couple of good reasons why it will just take time um and um but nevertheless there for me personally there is no question about whether it will happen or not um so that's also the reason why we we are thinking a bit more long term yeah um we we want to really try and and now shift and and be a a driving force for projects to not so much be any more pilots but actually really be real world use cases uh real world asset tokenization like they say um and um and that and then uh scale up our operation and also the amount of products that we are issuing alongside with our partners. On that new technology paradigm risk you referred to, do people bring up the question of, of interoperability, by which I mean they say, well, if we buy on Polygon, we can't sell on, on Avalanche. Is, is that, or indeed we can't sell on the Deutsche Börse, is that lack of interoperability between not just blockchain protocols, but between the protocols and the traditional systems ever an objection you you come up against and if it could be fixed would it encourage people to be more positive and act more quickly i think that um that it is another reason why maybe things are moving at it i mean if we had more standardization already um that would certainly accelerate uh, um also the development of this new market um but it is you know after all still a race that is to be won and i think that there are some aspects of um and and also some clear benefits of certain infrastructure layers which is also why certain market participants are going to probably have to come to a, a consensus on on what underlying technology is being used and um and nevertheless at the same time interoperability is making you know, um, there's there there are big big advancements that we are seeing also in the space of interoperability. So, um, but yeah, I I would agree. Uh, I think that that interoperability as 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 a topic for itself is another reason why um, why things are not you know developing as fast as they could if we had say an an underlying uh, standardized. Uh, um, yeah, infrastructure layer. Now, I can see why issuers and investors are going to get excited about this once they get comfortable with the, the technology and the risks and um, see it's scaling up. But what about these partners when you're when you're approaching them, these intermediaries who are already active in the capital markets? Do you detect that they feel threatened? I mean, your website's pretty clear that, you know, the long-term success of this model depends to some extent on 
on disintermediation of existing sources of 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 cost. Um, are you are you running into resistance from people who think, well, you're going to put me out of a job if you go down this path? Funny enough, not so much, Dominic. Um, I think that there is still a lot of confidence in uh, traditional capital markets. Um, and uh, I think that at the same time, it's more the case that um, most of those large financial institutional players that we are dealing with, they see tremendous potential for themselves also moving forward. Um, the the cost-cutting potentials uh, for, for their current operations yeah, um, being able to tap also into a new client base, yeah, reaching out to new new customer uh, segment. Um, I think that that that's definitely overweighing the the sentiment and the feedback that we are getting. Yeah, and um, I must say, I think that it's obviously it's also pretty obvious that some of the traditional financial institutional players. Are also, you know, making moves themselves. I mean, they see this themselves also as an opportunity for them to maybe, um, yeah, make shifts or, or amendments to, to, to the way they are set up in the future, and also to the services and products they can provide in the future to their clients. So, yeah. um, but I think that, like I said earlier, uh, Dominic, it will become uh, very important for us. Yeah, to actually build an ecosystem and and get market participants convinced that um, that enabling tradeability and, and and trading and settlement and and driving liquidity into uh, tokenized securities um, is is not a is is not a one man job. Yeah. A final question for you, Max, before I before I let you go, what will success look like if we look five years ahead? Would success be you're bumping up against the market cap constraints of the EU pilot regime? You've act, you 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 have to activate your exit plan from from the pilot regime, or is it is it something short of that or something beyond that? Do you have a clear idea of you and your shareholders have a clear idea of what success is going to look like? What would make you feel good about all the work that you've done, all the investment that you've made? So first and, and foremost, maybe to take a first the short term perspective, I think for this year, in particular for us, the big the big one, the big milestones and and, and our core objectives, surely you know uh, are that we obtain the license, that we uh, take twenty one x live, that we see the listings uh, of first you know uh, products, um, and 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 that actually the magic starts happening, so that we actually see that. Uh, operations are running and that this is uh, also being done in accordance with with regulatory requirements i think that in itself is is surely for this year on 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 our plate and then if we look ahead and and you mentioned like a five year time span and probably you're talking about five years because the dot pilot regime is supposed to run now for three years and then they've already talked about a possible extension of another three years so that would make it uh, given that the DLT regime started last year in March, pretty much that that five years moving forward. And what I think is going to happen, and also maybe to address uh, specifically your, your question on the thresholds, I think that, and uh, I hope not to get into to any troubles for saying this, but uh, let me take an optimistic uh, standpoint here. Uh, and that is, I think that what's, gone, what, what's likely to happen is that the EU DLT pilot regime will become effective 
hopefully already before the five years time have uh, passed yeah um but possibly then right because it is supposed to like i said run for three years and then extend it possibly for another three years so that's my one hope and the other hope is that the regulator comes to understand that the thresholds if we put them into perspective yeah and if we see that institutional adoption is actually happening from the likes of you know regulated financial institutions yeah um and that we can prove to the regulator that things are running the way they are supposed to yeah that we can then also hope for the release of certain uh, thresholds i i remain very optimistic there because after all when we are looking at market relevancy um that's surely the direction that it will have to go towards um by the way having said that that would also be my hope for the product restrictions that we still have right excluding structured products as an example um i think uh i'm i'm very optimistic there i think that that we what we will be seeing is that the regulator um will will start to walk and 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 run together also with the market providers um and and this market will actually uh become um a, a much less uh, or there will be much less restrictions than there are still today. Max Heinzler of 21X, uh, thank you very much for taking the time to share what you're doing with the members of Future of Finance. Yeah, thank you, Dominic. It was a great pleasure. Um, uh, thank you for giving me the possibility to talk about what we're doing today. Mm -hmm.